lots and lots of spoilers. Levine, 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 Levine. Whoa, I think I was in my own head there for a moment, though. Why I secretly call myself Levine is anyone's guess. Are you, um, are you confused? Very. Great! We've done our job, because this week, as part of our Ancient History, the 90s series, we're going to be tackling a lesser-known film, a treatise on how hard it is being green called Being John Malkovich. The host with a secret passage that leads directly to his navel cavity, which you can travel through for a mere $200, is Max Make Mine Marvel Levine. And me? Well, I'm the captain of your little cruise ship of love, lust and greed, Mike Stubing Loose. What's the point of all this? What's the point of life? We'll be tackling neither of these probing questions this week, but we will be talking about movies! But before we get to that, we will slide right into everyone's favorite part of the show. The end? No, not the end. Oh. It's business. Bus- right, business, yes. That was, that's end. what I meant. You know, our pony is waiting in the wings. Right, so, business. If you like social media, and who doesn't? Me. You might find us on Facebook. You might find us on Twitter. You might find us on Spotify, all under the banner of Max Mike Movies. You might hey. find us on Pinterest, but you won't. <laughs> no, you won't. Don't pin us. It hurts. <laughs> Um, if you would like to listen to 103 other episodes just like this one, plus a few specials here and there, like there's one on cats, cats, <laughs> cats, you can find us on our own website that we bought all by ourselves with our pennies. It is MaxMikeMovies.com. And if you would like to contact us to give us show suggestions, to give us ideas, to basically talk back and tell us how wonderful we are or how full of poop we are, then you can email us directly at us at maxmikemovies.com. Won't you? Please. We need leaders. <laughs> All right. We are not uh, the Girl Scouts. Or Campfire Girls. I can't remember. I think oh, was it, it Campfire right. Girls? Okay. I don't okay. remember. I know the Campfire Girls. This is Rita Moreno. Never mind. We, never mind. We yeah, have way... Seriously. Yeah. Besides, we have much more um, concrete and easy to dis- discuss things to do. Oh, so. boy. <clears throat> Being John Malkovich... The show. Trivia. Oh, yeah. Okay, hit us. Okay, the budget, $13 million. And I remember, at this point in time, we're still at the, probably still at the, you have to make at least twice your budget. We haven't got to the big budget, you have to make three times your budget Mm -hmm. to be successful. Take a guess at how much this, this film made. I could not begin to. Surprisingly, overall worldwide take was $32 million. Huh, not bad. Which, yeah, for an indie, that, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. This, is right uh, at, fact, this is right at the end of the 90s, right? This was 1999. It is. Yes, which is how we were it, all supposed to party. I forgot. Yes, Prince told us. How could you forget it, what Prince told you? Uh, well, this little thing called Y2K. Oh, yes. Remember that? Oh, boy, do I. Oh, yeah. Uh, This film was actually nominated for three Oscars, and I'm not talking best sound mixing or anything like that. It was up for, though did not win any of, best screenplay, best director, and best supporting actor for Catherine Keener. Huh. Yeah. Okay, all reasonable. Uh, Who was the director, by the way? The director was Spike Jones. We'll be getting to him. Oh, I used to love him in the City Slickers. Uh, No, this is Jones with a Z. Huh? 
Uh, he oh, married yes. uh, Francis. He yeah, he married Francis Ford Coppola's daughter. Not not Sophia, Sophia the other one. Oh, but we'll oh. be getting to that. Mm. Uh, and Malkovich, Malkovich, uh, sorry, Malkovich, 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 Malkovich. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that later on. But our titular star, I love that word, titular. Uh, it says something, <laughs> saying something dirty. <laughs> our titular star did not want to be in the movie. I wonder While, why. Well, he liked the script, and he offered to help director Spike Jones. Um, it just took a few years that for him to be convinced that he was indeed the one man for the job. Wait, fact, wait, it, wait a minute. He wasn't sure he was the right one to play John Malkovich? Well, they thought it could be somebody else, and to that point, the movie at one point was in danger of being called Being Tom Cruise, which would have been oh, a very wow. different movie. Yeah, you know oh, whose idea that was? Tom Cruise? Uh, John Malkovich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the movie was all the idea of writer Charlie Kaufman, who sent the script to Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, Coppola liked it, but he deferred it to his daughter's husband, Spike Jones, who then approached Kaufman about directing it. Kaufman is the writer of such films as Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Adaptation, and strangely, many episodes of the Dana Carvey Show. Wow. Yeah, so there's a broad career. Yeah. Um, so you may ask, why is Charlie Sheen in this movie? I was very much asking myself that question. I saw this, I haven't seen this movie since it came out. I forgot he was in this, and my first thought is, wow, so we're supposed to believe A, John Malkovich knows Charlie Sheen, and B, he turns to him for advice? Which was one of my notes. <laughs> when you're in trouble, who's the first person you call? Charlie Sheen. Uh, he is in this movie because yeah. uh, Malkovich recommended him over the original choice for that part, which was Kevin Bacon. <laughs> so, Oh, that would, have been, that would have been fun. It would have given a whole new level of uh, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yeah, but apparently uh, he does know Charlie Sheen. I huh. Okay. You know, cool. uh, Malkovich, believe it or not, is not actually playing Malkovich, but sort of a caricatured version or an actual character as far as he's concerned. Huh. He claims the only thing autobiographical in his role is his clothes. Well, I mean, so, they also he plays him as a single guy, and Malkovich has been married for a very long time. Oh, see, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Um, Cusack, John Cusack, who is the ostensible star of this film, even though it's uh, being John Malkovich. I don't know if there actually is a star of this film. Yeah. Uh, John, John Cusack was apparently looking for a challenge. He was Whoa. cast because he told his manager to get him a look at, quote, the craziest, most unproducible script you can find. This was it. Challenge <laughs> accepted. Yeah. Cameron Diaz, who is nearly unrecognizable in her role, often yeah. fooled the crew into thinking she was a stranger. Um, I would admit, I am not the best at facial recognition in the world. I did not know who it was until the end credits. And I kept trying to convince myself it was Mary Elizabeth Mastry Antonio. Um, and I was like, who? No, who is that? I don't know. And it would keep, it's like, Cameron Diaz, really? Yeah. Um, she doesn't get much less Cameron Diaz than this film. But um, a couple of characters in the film say that they recognize John Malkovich from him playing a jewel thief in some movie. I wondered about he, that. He claims at the time that he wasn't in any movie playing a jewel thief, and he was right at that point. He would, however, play a jewel thief in 2003's Johnny English. <laughs> okay. I know. Talk about trivial. Yeah. Uh, Spike, this is Spike Jones' first movie. He would go on to direct many music videos and uh, another Kaufman project, Adaptation, which I actually wanted for the series but was a little too late. Yeah. Um, he also directed, uh, directed Where the Wild Things Are, which was a surprisingly interesting film, mm. and a film that we discussed in the past and ended up liking very much Her. Who? 
Her who? Huh? Her. Who? Her? Her. 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 Them? <laughs> Hers on first. She's? Um, cameos. Because we love us some cameos. We get Brad Pitt. <laughs> Blinking, you'll that. miss her. Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. Sean Penn. And, of course, Charlie Sheen, who's a bit more than a cameo. But mm. there you go. Uh, how they're in this film, I don't know. Uh, that's all I had for trivia. Do you know any other... Uh, not really. I was curious about the marionettes. Uh, I looked a little into that. They did have an actual puppeteer. The puppeteering in this is actually pretty amazing. It really is. The marionettes, if those were all real marionettes, and I questioned the one about the the full oh, the side, the dancer, I yeah, that looked no. like a guy in a suit. That was a guy in a suit. Yeah. yeah. But the others are amazing. They really are, because you think, oh, marionettes, oh, da, 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 lady goat herd, you know, okay. <laughs> well, I, I was expecting, you know, uh, let's go, brains. We've got to get to Thunderbird <laughs> 4. 7-5. That's a really deep dig. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah super marionation is slow. F-A-B. No, there's actual like, feeling and emotion from these puppets, one of whom is obviously meant to look like John Cusack in this film. Yeah, that was um, creepy. Yeah, especially because he's basically puppeteering himself. But, uh, yeah, so, the, the, I, you know, for what it's worth, the puppeteering is really, really good. Apparently, Cusack did do some studying, but it was somebody else who did most of the puppeteering. I figure that was, I mean, that's really advanced stuff. That's not something yeah. you just grab a couple of those sticks and shake them. No, no. Right, so the plot. Boy. Yeah, the plot, yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so there's this down-and-out puppeteer, Craig Schwartz, who puts on undecipherable shows on the streets with his marionettes based on obscure old texts like the Letters of Abelard and Heloise. Mm. Uh, this is from the 12th century, so yeah, I'm not kidding when I say obscure. Although apparently Shakespeare based some stuff on him and blah, blah, yeah. blah. Bitter because other puppeteers are better known. Name one. And I don't <laughs> mean ma- uh, Muppets. Oh, Sherry Lewis. Uh, we're talking about marionettes, but that's okay. Whale and Flowers? Stop. Uh, <laughs> Senior Wences. Um, bitter because other puppeteers are better known. At the urging of his wife, who keeps a menagerie in their small apartment, he seeks employment elsewhere, quote, until that puppet thing works out, unquote. End quote. He finds an odd want ad for a filing clerk of short stature on the seven and a half floor of an office building, so checks it out. The floor is indeed half-sized between the seven and eighth floors of this building, and everyone has to bend over to walk about. He gets the job. While filing, a folder falls behind a cabinet. Moving the cabinet, he finds a very small door which leads to the inside of John Malkovich's head. Not not literally. Not inside his skull or anything. Well, his brain. His mind, yeah. But but literally it does. Like Mm -hmm. that part, it's like it's not, yeah. (laughs) I am not making this up. Yeah. Inside, he can experience everything Malkovich experiences. Fifteen minutes later, he is unceremoniously dumped outside the New Jersey Turnpike. <laughs> Deciding to use this information to impress a co-worker who he's instantly fallen in love with, she instantly sees the potential and suggests they sell tickets, which they do. <laughs> so now anyone can enter Malkovich and be him for 15 minutes for the small sum of $200. But things get weird. Yes, I just said, but things get weird. Get weird. <laughs> When Craig's wife, Lottie, when inside Malkovich, falls in love with Craig's co-worker and partner, Maxine, who then, but only when Lottie is inside Malkovich, falls in love with Lottie. <sighs> and it gets weirder from there. Charlie Sheen, Ben Vereen, shrink to the size of a lima bean. <laughs> Not exactly the end. <laughs> because. Yeah. Yeah. The down. Seriously. That's the plot. 
Um, okay, yeah, it pretty much is. Yeah, there's more, but yeah. So um, yeah, I had forgot as we both as we just started we started off saying neither of us has seen this movie since it came out. You know, mm-hmm. twenty years ago. Yeah, I had forgotten how friggin' weird this is. <laughs> I remember liking it, and but I don't remember why I went to see it because I saw it in the theater. I know that because at that point, where else were you going to see it? But I don't remember what the like oh i want to go see why well, i don't know what in the trailer made me want to go see that i do like john cusack uh not necessarily as a person um apparently he's had some issues um i honestly don't think john malkovich is a good actor i, oh, can't I remember. like him i think he can do if he has the right part i think he's terrific <laughs> i am and in not pain just, without my stone not aragon and that wasn't his fault <laughs> Oh, I think Aragon is equally his fault because he agreed to be in it. I mean, what did he think it was I'm going sure to be? I'm sure they backed a truck full of money up to his house and said, guess what? You never have to leave this one set. You basically <laughs> sit in a chair, read these ludicrous lines. I pretty, I will bet you anything he was not on set for more than a day. Probably half. Yeah. There's yep. almost no makeup, a real simple costume, and you go home and never and never hear from us again. I think he is. Wasn't his character Galvatorix or something Galva, else? Dumb? Galvatorix with a V, yes. Galvatorix, yeah. So yeah. if you want to hear more about Aragon, and who wouldn't, check out our series on Ugh. Is This D&D Way, Way Back? Because we covered that movie and we should have covered it with mustard and honey or something. <laughs> um, I'd yeah, to swallow. Yeah. I, I can deal with him in this film because he's ostensibly himself, although he isn't. Um, and there's some films like I actually like him in uh, in the Line of Fire. Oh, which he's is, terrific uh, in that. Oh no, he is yeah, I, I like that. I actually like that film in general a lot. But a lot of times I just find like actually the two scenes they show of him acting in this in the Cherry Orchard in Richard the yeah. Third. I wouldn't go see him because he's actually kind of terrible. But he's whatever. a little hammy. But I think he's doing that on purpose. It's hard to tell, right? Because we now know that he wasn't. He was trying to not really be him, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the puppeteering, like we pointed out, it's it, the, the film opens with a puppet show, and it is surprisingly nuanced. Uh, and there'll be other puppet stuff throughout the, the film, and all of it's actually really interesting. I don't know that I want a whole movie like that. I actually have seen a whole movie, as Max pointed out. Uh, it was the four stitched-together episodes of Thunderbirds, um, and the um, nuance is um, lacking, shall we yeah, say. Yeah. In that puppeteering. Um, but we start off with a puppet show, and John Cusack, who has never looked weirder in his life. Oh, they do a great job making him look schlubby. Yeah. I mean... He, he's supposed to be this artiste um, in New York, and he looks exactly like you'd expect. Um, he's got really weird, stringy, long hair. Um, he's got stubble. He's very non-John Cusack. Um, I guess he wanted a challenge, and he got it, so... But, yeah, and... And as he as it progresses, you realize he's not playing the usual John Cusack nice guy. Mm-mm. This guy, this guy is a jackass. Yeah, he's you know almost depressed to the point that he can't get out of bed because his puppets aren't being taken seriously. And where is he showing them <laughs> on a street corner in front of a, like a, I don't know a store twenty four in New York? Yeah, and and he's showing this fairly erotic <laughs> I, puppet show, you know, Abelard and Heloise. And this you know, little girl is watching, and her father whips around and punches him in the face. Right. And I love the fact he goes into the pet shop where his wife works, and she just looks at him and goes, oh, again? <laughs> like, oh, God, how, how often is this puppeteer punched on the street? Yeah. And 
it's one of those characters where you can look at him kind of both ways. You could say, well, here's somebody who's totally dedicated to his art, good for him. And then you can look at him and go, dude, you need to get a day job. Yeah. <laughs> you look at him and go, yeah, I'm sorry, you were born about 150 years too late. Yeah. You know, 19th century Paris, you probably would have been a superstar. There were yeah. times when marionettes and puppeteering was a big deal. This ain't it. Yeah, and it's sad because his puppeteering is actually excellent. It's not like he doesn't have skill. It's just no one can... And it's, he's picking this 12th century stuff. And the you stuff know, he does is, is so depressing and... Yeah, I know, think the, basically the idea of the letters, I haven't read them, have you? No, I know the story. It's basically a monk... It's a nun and a monk that are in two cells next to each other writing letters and they can't actually have sex because, mm -hmm. you know, monk and, and uh, nun. And so they just have unrequited love and write about that. I'm guessing. And one of the puppets looks just like him. Um, the other, the nun puppet, doesn't look like anybody in particular that I could tell. Although he does make puppets of both his wife and his eventual love interest and does yeah. things with those, which... Is, yeah, no, not at all. Um, but yeah, so I will say that this is a film that the people who are in it are really flexing themselves. Yeah, this is a real actor's movie. Now, well, that was actually one of my questions. So would you say that this is an actor's film or a director's film or maybe even both? I would go with both. I think it's very much, I mean, the direction is really interesting and the performances are really good. I think this is very much an ensemble cast thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I think this is a, this feels like an experiment, this whole movie. Yeah. And uh, also on the part of the screenwriter. I mean, everyone is like, wow. Uh, there's no way this could work. Let's see if we can do it. And apparently there, the idea popped up 10 years earlier, and the people who showed it to was like, this will never get made. Never get made. And to be fair, I want to say that if they tried to do that today, not a chance. Oh, I don't think so. No one would take that kind of a risk. No. Well, look what's in the theaters these days. There's nothing that's really testing the bounds of anything. Um, and it's actually one of the reasons Max and I started looking at this series in the first place. We just started looking at 90s films and like, wow, there was a lot of both interesting films and films that would be very influential that happened in the 90s, which is a decade that I think kind of gets glossed over in yeah. general. No, a lot of very important movies came out in this time. A lot of movies that shaped other movies. Not always were they great movies, no. but they were significant. No, the 90s was one, probably the last time there was real high-level experimentation. Yeah, and, you know, hopefully this series is going to show some of that. I mean, you know, definitely Dazed and Confused, which was my choice before this, mm -hmm. um, and Max's two choices, too, you know, even though he's doing the big-budget stuff, these are films that would be influential and would change a lot of stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, in this film, you know, the fact that I remember I saw this in a big-budget theater. It wasn't at some little art house. It was at the local multiplex. Because you could do that. Like, I remember seeing this. I remember seeing Run, Lola, Run, The Red Violin. Mm. Um, and these were not big films, but you could still do films like this, and people could actually see them if they wanted to see them. And now it's like, no. Oh, well, we have. Oh, uh, we don't have room because we have the Avengers in five theaters. And, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. We, yeah, we, we have the uh, latest ripoff of a Disney movie over here. And... Yeah. Um, how would you categorize this film? Ugh. Like, if you're putting it up at Blockbuster, hey, there's a thing. What <laughs> section would it go in? I would put it in drama. I mean, ultimate, I know it's fantasy in some ways, but I would have to say drama. Okay. Unless, unless they had an indie section. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was like three different things at the same time. 
it was bizarre because it is a the whole concept's bizarre um and apparently at one point <laughs> the idea was that uh there was the main character was in john malkovich and there was a uh, showdown with the devil and the devil was trying to get Craig out of John Malkovich's head so he could somehow take over the world. The, the devil? What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the Hammaker Slummer Building, I don't remember what it's called, but the Hammaker was the, and it's not, that's not the name, but the uh-huh. Hammaker part was this old ship captain's for reason that uh, nobody yeah. knows, Brother, and the Slummaker uh-huh. was supposed to represent the devil, so apparently oh. the ship captains got into a deal with the devil, they made uh, an office that did, building. That didn't come across, okay. <laughs> well, no, that was the original idea. They, they, they I'm, I'm glad they left that out, although some of it is still just I mean, the whole idea of the existence of this half floor or three-quarter floor. Yeah. It's not, yeah, it's about, uh, the ceilings are what, maybe five feet high? Yeah, something like that. Uh, and the idea, when they see when the new employees are shown the orientation film and it's that, oh, no, this uh, old sea captain owned the building and this uh, little person came in and asked for a place to work where she did not feel so freakish and strange and he married her and built her this this half floor <laughs> which you know is nonsense yeah it's just but it's, i love the little play like they actually have a little video of this this yep. guy in a sea captain's costume and this you know uh small little person coming in in like a bo peep costume of the time or something i don't know and it's just hilarious because the acting and it's terrible on purpose yeah no the, both of them are uh the the woman i think she might be the uh, woman from poltergeist i can't remember oh but she's a she's a little per- she's an actress and she's a little person. She's normally very good, but yeah, she's very much. Hello, I am a hammy actor doing a corporate video. Yeah, which is fine. So this film yeah. is bizarre, and then it's funny. But just when you're like happy because it's funny, it gets uncomfortable. Like oh, all three things so are like going on simultaneously. Everybody turns out to be horrible and yeah. or, or insane. I mean, it also gets me, the, the company that he's working at, which is a filing company, this, apparently this is a company designed entirely for filing. It's sort of like a really twisted version of The Office. Uh, yeah. Never mind that the, the ceiling is slow, so it's run by this guy named Dr. Lester. Right. Who is who is or, a guy named Orson Bean. Who, yep. You, the, my main knowledge of Orson Bean, he was the voice of Bilbo Baggins in the Rankin-Bass <laughs> cartoon version of The Hobbit. Yeah, Orson Bean was a uh, character actor, very popular in TV mm. in the 60s and the 70s. Never, I, As far as I know, he never like headlined a show, but he showed up in a lot of things, probably show up on a lot of game shows. I want to get back to him, because he starts off as this sort of harmless, kind of funny, sweet old man. Well, and except he's lecherous, too. He's kind of lecherous, but uh, you know, he's lecherous over the, the one of the women in the office who's played by Mary Kay Place, right. we know from The Big Chill and many other things. Who uh, I think reciprocates. She likes him, but <laughs> well, we don't know because she's utterly ununderstandable. Yeah, she yeah she is convinced that everyone else has a speech impediment and she can't understand what they say. Yeah, and she's managed to convince Lester that he has a speech impediment. But then we also find out a few things about him that really are questionable. But we'll get to that. Yeah, and the whole I like that whole. The, the low-ceilinged office, if nothing else, I know it's supposed to give a sort of surreal feel to it, but if you've ever worked in an office, mm. if you've ever worked in a cube farm, mm-hmm. you know that it often does feel like it's slowly pressing you down and <laughs> compressing you and crushing you yeah, so that you can never stand up and be who, all of who you are. It is a soulless place. 
Um, yeah. I now they don't they don't describe or explain the mythology of this film really at all. All they tell you is that there is a portal. <laughs> <laughs> which has over time led to different people's heads. Yeah. And we find out that the ship captain who built this building and married the little person uh, is actually Dr. Lester. And that he's what still he's alive. Done, he has just gone into different people's heads over time and become them. For and that it, yeah. there's, there's this timeline. Like, he knows... Who the descend or who the next head's going to be? They know that they are. There's a sweet spot where if you enter then and you're in there after a certain point, you stay there and you take over the person's place. Really, yeah. Um, Your body although, snatched them, basically. Yeah, and that's what Lester's doing. So I, my thought is that the reason he builds the building is because either that's where he finds out the portal's there, or he builds the building, finds the portal, and just has to stay there, and he keeps the seventh and a half floor, so there's fewer people on it, and he can keep other people out. But Except he knows? doesn't seem to do anything... We, they end up with these huge lines of people lined up to take the Malkovich ride. Right. And doesn't seem to bother him. Well, he doesn't, he doesn't aware know. Of it. Yeah, well, no. we don't know. Well, he yeah. they turn to do it after they close the, the business, yeah. whatever it does, filing, uh, <laughs> because they don't. They're trying to make money off this. So yeah. And, so and so the absurdest nature of it is they have in effect discovered a, a, that you can enter another person's. You can actually t enter another person's body psychically. They right. discovered an actual reliable mechanism for doing with it, this. And first of all, nobody is like, oh my god. Right. What the hell? I mean, John Cusack starts to talk about it a little bit in terms of what this means about identity, mm -hmm. but really he's just trying to impress Catherine Keener. Right, Maxine. That's right, Maxine. Yeah, he's trying to yeah. impress Maxine. It's no one really is thinking about this. And what do they say? It's like, wow, you have in effect a tool for psychic domination here. Let's make it a ride. <laughs> Let's sell well, it. You know, fifteen minutes, two hundred bucks a pop. Yeah, and so you get into John Malkovich's head. The camera changes. It's got uh, what they, I think it's called a cookie, um, where it's the shape of an eye. So we're you know we know we're looking out through John Malkovich's head. We see his hands do things. We see him occasionally in the mirror doing stuff. Uh, luckily, although there are uh, there's a shower scene and a scene where he dances <laughs> with nothing but a towel. We don't see little Malkovich, which is um, quite welcome. Uh, you're in there for 15 minutes. You're observing. Uh, I, we can't tell if you feel things, but my feeling is you probably do. Um, it, it's impl I think it's implied, but yeah, yeah, we don't know. You're you're along for the ride, and then for absolutely no reason at all, after 15 minutes, you are shoved out, and you drop about 15 feet into a into the side of the New Jersey Turnpike. Yeah, no explanation. <laughs> no nope. one seems to wonder why there. Why is nope. it always the same exit? What's no? How? Why? And most people just go along for the ride. It, yeah. Craig, John Cusack's character, the puppeteer, which is a nice touch, yeah. he's the one who figures out he can actually control John Malkovich. Although, no, that's not true. His wife, Lottie, figures out she can influence his behavior by talking. Like, Maxine calls up John Malkovich and asks to have dinner with him, and Lottie starts saying in his head, you know, Go meet her, go meet her, go meet her, go meet her. And he yeah. doesn't want to because he thinks she's just some crazy fan, but he does. Yep. But, but then she, she's then, not a puppeteer, so no. she doesn't understand the pulling the strings, I guess is the implication. I suppose. And then, yeah, Cusack figures out, or Craig figures out he can actually 
hang on. He figures out how he can stay in there longer than 15 minutes. Yep. And that and becomes the second half of the world, the second, I guess the last third of the movie, is yeah. he takes over John Malkovich's life. Yeah. Um, and, but before we get there, yeah. so stuff's going on, things are weird, and finally there's a point where... Uh, what ha- so, <laughs> Lottie, played by Karen Cameron Diaz, who has the the number and types of pets she has in the house include a chimp, an iguana, a dog, and I don't even remember the rest. Parrot. Of it. Yeah, w- yeah. She um, finds he he tells her about it, and she decides to go. He he convinces her to try it because he doesn't want her to know that he's actually in love with Maxine and that's what's going on. Although he's so bad at hiding it, I don't know why she wouldn't know. She She goes in and she's actually so excited by this that she immediately wants to go again. And at one point, uh, once he and uh, John Malkovich with Lottie inside has been drawn into meeting Maxine. I know this is so hard to describe. Yeah. And they, um, shall we say, get it on. Yeah, and realizes that she's in love with Maxine, and Maxine, however, is not in love with Lottie unless she's inside John Malkovich. Yeah, it's like she's in love with the combination with Lottie's mind in uh, John inside of John Malkovich. That's so, that's the other uh, one of the many many odd things here. Yeah, uh, but just focusing on the one yeah. thing I want to get to, we'll come back to that part too. But so what happens is she makes Malkovich say something. That it, actually, she doesn't. So what happens is, and this is where where Craig figures things out. Craig gets jealous because he's in love with Maxine. Maxine and Lottie have declared their love for each other. Although again, only when Lottie is inside John Malkovich. Then uh, Craig, to make sure that we don't like him as a character, puts his wife in the cage in a scene that it's very uncomfortable. Yeah. Then he goes in to uh, he makes her call Maxine and uh, have Maxine call Malkovich to make a date. He then runs down to the office, gets inside. John Malkovich pretends that he's his wife inside John Malkovich <laughs> while then they those two uh, get it on and makes Malkovich say something and do something that he's like, this isn't me. And now Malkovich has become suspicious. So he stakes outside um, Maxine's apartment, follows her, and finds out that there are people that are getting to Paying go to and be have him. a right inside and of his course, head. And now his first impulse is not I'm calling every law enforcement agency <laughs> on the planet, or I'm calling NASA or anything. Nope. It's I want to try. Well, I want to try, and I want I, like what? I don't think he actually believes it. He knows there's something weird, but like, of course, what? How could this possibly work? And they're like, Oh no, Mister, I don't remember his name, Mister Yokohama's in there. So John Malkovich goes into oh. the portal inside his own head and oh, makes. Wow. One of the most interesting, memorable, amazing scenes in the film because he's and, inside yeah. a restaurant somehow in his own head, and every single person in there has John Malkovich's head, and the only thing they say is Malkovich, including him. The only yeah. word anyone can use is Malkovich, and they're obviously using it for all conversation. They're sitting there going, Malkovich, 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 Malkovich. Malkovich. And, and when he panics, he's yelling, Malkovich. I am guessing it is CG. Uh, I didn't I go looking into how they it's made this. It's really well done. It is, it is it's, frighteningly well done. I mean, especially because he's sitting across from the table from this rather 
buxom young woman in a in a uh, cocktail dress with right. John Malkovich's head. Yeah, so John Malkovich in a uh, low cut ball gown, uh, showing his uh, her yummies at the camera, uh, and it's and the only seam is she's got this little diamond necklace. And I'm sure that that's the, yeah. the the difference between the top and the bottom, but you can't tell. It's really well done. There are babies with John Malkovich's yep. head. Oh, uh, waiters, and waiters, everybody. The, the, a man the lounge ice singer. Cream. <laughs> It's amazing, and the thing is, what you you sit when he's about to go in, you're going, "How is this going to work?" And they come up with a way that just took. When I first saw it, I was like, "I did not see that coming," but this works perfectly. It's yeah. this, in effect, infinite Malkovich recursion loop. Yeah, and so it's they eventually he and Mister Yokohama or whatever his name again get dumped out on the um, New Jersey Turnpike, and of course, John Malkovich wants to put an end to this. Um, but yeah, the whole situation, like the, it's not even a love triangle. I honestly don't think you can describe sort how of this a works. Love tesseract. I don't know. Yeah, you need a fourth dimension to make this yeah. work because Maxine initially is just like, I'm not interested in in Lottie unless you're in Malkovich, and that, really and, isn't interested in Craig. And that, no, well, that there's good reason for that because Craig is yeah. really creepy and he, pushy and just bad, awful. Um, yeah, yeah. I, the way he talks to her when he when he meets her at work. I'm sitting there going, wow, why aren't you running to HR? Yeah, Except it's like, she's not afraid of him at all. She is completely unintimidated because she, she thinks he's, you know, that she's a lot stronger than he is, which she probably and, is. Yeah, she's right. And she's able to mentally d- dominate him into yeah. not doing things to her that he doesn't, that she doesn't want him to do. Um, although to his wife, who is obviously far less domineering, he's able to run over her and do horrible things to her which to be fair are no more than caging her and tying her up but they're horrible enough oh yeah um and so there's the, you know as max pointed out there's the points in this movie where you dislike everybody there's nobody who comes clean out of this film the best you can say is that lottie and maxine uh who <laughs> end up together raising malkovich's oh, child as impregnated when lottie was inside malkovich um Seem to make a nice family, but I, the, you know, Maxine is still pretty horrible. She's very manipulative. You have to She's wonder. V- I mean, John and Craig says, you know, you're evil, Maxine, and I wonder, you know, is she? She seems to be completely self-centered, completely narcissistic. But she's also interesting and intelligent. Yeah, and you do get the feeling she actually does care about Lottie. She just doesn't understand how how to do it. Right. You get I always got the feeling this was Lottie was the first person she ever felt anything for and she has no idea how to handle it. Especially because, you know, she doesn't seem to be uh, oriented toward women. And Lottie's confused because what is her reaction after in time and two times in Malkovich? She wants to get gender reassignment surgery. She thinks Which, she's supposed to be a man. Yeah. So believe it or not, in the midst of all of this, there's that. <laughs> yeah. Which and, sort of gets dropped pretty quick. Well, because I think that what my take is that what she really wanted wasn't so much to be a man is this that she was lacking in self-confidence which she gained by being inside malkovich and there was a rush of being inside somebody that had that much bravado that she needed to be a man to do it i think she realizes wasn't actually true Maybe. um yeah but we don't know because like the, the, the plot doesn't deal with that anymore because be fair it's 1999 and that is not even like it's not even a thing yet Right? It's I mean, I'm sure, starting. Well, I'm sure people were going through it, but it wasn't something that was even mentioned ever. Like, there was no understanding of that at all. 
Um, but the fact that it mentioned it is something, um, which leads to me one of my other talking points. Um, would you say that there was any actual LGBT representation in this film? Uh, not in any kind of traditional sense that I understand, no. Well, but on the other hand, those two end up as a couple. Now, we don't know that they actually consummate it when they're both women. But, but they, they do they're, up- very, they're very affectionate. There's actually... You know, the the first time I saw this movie, I thought, oh, this is kind of a happy ending, except we'll talk about it. It really isn't. No. It's, it's actually terrifying. It actually gets... So, again, you get bizarre, then you get funny, and then you get uncomfortable. Like, yeah, yeah. Every scene. It, it, they're all intertwined. Um, I, I thought because they at least mentioned gender replacement theory, and they didn't dismiss it as something that itself was dumb or not to be considered, John Cusack's character just dismisses it because he doesn't really think his wife wants that, and he actually might be right. Also, he doesn't want it. Right. He just wants... Well, he's... he's, A schlub is being kind. Yeah, he's also very self-centered and very... You know, these people are all narcissists. He's convinced, you know, the... He's one of those those artists who thinks the world owes him something. Mm-hmm. He thinks it's the world's fault that he's not successful. Right. Which the fact is, yeah, it might be true. He it, he is great at his art. It's just his art doesn't fit the world, which right. he then changes when he becomes John Malkovich, literally. Yep. Because then in the film we jump to eight months in the future. Yep. And he has pretending while playing john malkovich while controlling john malkovich he has said to his agent i don't want to be an actor anymore i want to be a puppeteer and And his his, his agent goes you got it and yeah the next thing you know he's playing at the carnegie hall or whatever and and he's he's ushered in a new age of puppeteering and you get that's when you get the cameo of like sean penn going you know well you know i i gotta pay my dues i really gotta study because i don't want to just be accused of copying malkovich i mean he's <laughs> the gold standard it's just which is really pretty damn funny it is you, you never thought sean penn had a sense of humor but especially about himself but obviously for this at least he did oh sure um, he did back in fast times at ridgemont high he was funny well no but i mean about himself yeah i don't know how ser- I, I have the feeling he takes himself pretty seriously well he got he seemed to get that way later I, i'm not sure yeah, but, but it's just uh, yeah. So puppeteering is now a thing, and there's a special on TV. Uh, although that's where he finds out that his wife isn't potentially interested in him anymore because there's apparently rumors. And he looks into the bedroom and it's like, oh yeah, we haven't done it in months, and she's pregnant at this point. But um, yeah, it's. <laughs> I would say that in general, there wasn't much of any part of this film that I saw coming. Like no, it's all just a shock, and even the thing, my God. When Cameron Diaz is trying to figure out what to do and how to deal with things, and she goes to Dr. Lester's house, yeah, because at one point she was there for dinner right. months before and saw that he has a shrine room to, like, a museum of John Malkovich. Right. And that's when she finds out, yeah, he's this ship's captain, and he has been using this portal to stay, to live forever. And then he fi- you find out, this is the part that really threw me, he's decided... He gets lonely in there. He doesn't. So he has a whole bunch of friends, who he is. Go- they're all going to enter the mind of John Malkovich, <laughs> and live inside his head, controlling him for the rest of John Malkovich's life, and then move on to the next. Yeah, which is <laughs> we're supposed to like Lester, and he is basically a, doing the equivalent of demonic possession. He's stealing another human being's body when they hit the age of forty-four, and. I mean, we already don't like him because he's a lech and he's gross. 
Um, he's smiling the whole time. He does a great job yeah. of playing this character, but it's like yuck. Um, and then yeah, and you know, uh, spoiler. That's what happens. That this whole group of old people from Cocoon um, <laughs> eat your eat your oatmeal, or you'll get diabetes. Uh, <laughs> end up inside John Malkovich and take over. And one of the ways that they subtly let you know before he even says anything is John Malkovich, who of course is mostly bald, uh, in eight months in the future or whatever, seven years in the future, has got the same haircut that Orson Bean had earlier yeah. in the film. Yeah, and, and is now married to, to Mary Kay Place. Right, so that they're happy. But of course, Mary Kay Place is married to, uh, I think, about 12 people. That, yeah, that I didn't understand at all. Is it down? Do they share control? Do the others just there for the right? They don't say, which is, again, really good. I also like the fact that Charlie Sheen was willing to let them. It's supposed to be seven years, and he's losing all his hair, and he's got a yeah. pot belly. They yeah. make him up. He looks really funny. Yeah. He, looks, he looks very, oddly enough, nothing like Charlie Sheen looks now. Right. Who? Well, he looks kind of weather-beaten. He still has all his hair, and he still looks pretty good. Yeah, but he's he's willing to make himself look dumpy in this, and that I appreciate that. <laughs> and he also he plays. I mean, I, I don't know how much of, of this is like Charlie Sheen, who of course is also problematic. But every time Malkovich tries to tell him more details about what's going on, uh, Charlie Sheen's like, "Yeah, why not? Why not?" And it's like, "Well, I I think she's a witch. Yeah, sure. That's but two of the <laughs> hot lesbian witches." <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. Nobody he te- what he tells Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen doesn't for a second disbelieve him. No, no, he doesn't does. say. You, everyone just accepts this insane parapsychic phenomenon. Yeah, and the but it's the end part that is so frigging terrifying because you know uh, Maxine and Lottie are raising this adorable seven-year-old girl. Right. Who it, it's actually kind of sweet. She Lottie. You know, right when she's still pregnant, tell I mean Maxine tells Lottie she thinks she considers the child to be Lottie's right. because they can see you know it was John Malkovich. Okay, <laughs> I don't care if you're inside his head; it's still you know his jism going in there and making a baby. Do I have to beep she, that that word? Yeah, Do I, is I, that a beepable? I, I think it's I think it's uh, legit. But, okay, uh, uh, but spiritually or mentally, she thinks of it as Lottie's, and it's very touching. And I think when she says it, I believe her. I think she means that. Right. So they're raising her, but when we see Lester and and middle-aged Charlie Sheen, and he takes Sheen into this room, and it's another one of those museums, only it's a museum not of John Malkovich, but of this little girl, Emily. Yeah. They're, in other words, they're going to take, the portal now goes to her head, and they plan to steal her body in 37 years. Well, except they're going to have a problem, because somebody beat them to it. No, he, he is in the subconscious. They explain that. He is... Bur- Craig, through methods, we have no idea. They well, never no, no, even no. Tr- it, it's very obvious what happened. Craig doesn't know about the 44-year-old thing. The only one who knew about that was Lottie, because she oh, talked to oh, him. Oh, so he, you think he went she in... Thought, he, he thought he was going back into Malkovich. And he was going to kick the the old people out. And what happens is at midnight on your 44th birthday, that's when everything's set in stone and the portal doesn't go to your head anymore. Uh, so he went right. in after midnight and ended up in the little girl's the, the, the Psyche, baby and body. Lester explains if you go into someone too young, they're too strong. You can't take them over. You get shoved into their subconscious forever. 
Except it's not that sub, because we get a view of him experiencing everything. The only thing is he's not in control. He can't we, make her do anything. He keeps saying, look away, look away, and she doesn't. We hope so that he, that stays that way. Yeah. Well, the implication is he eventually gets buried in the subconscious with all the other adult crap. But yeah, yeah this means this kid is going to lose, It has a, a lifespan of 44 years, then her psyche will be destroyed by this eternal monster. Right. It's a horrifying ending. Yes. And it's it all is. done with nice, sweet music, and she's having fun <laughs> in a pool. And it's like, oh my, but if you actually think about it, it's incredibly dark. So based on, on all of this that we've talked about, Max, what do you think the author is trying to say? People suck. Okay. That's that's what I got. People suck. Even the ones that seem nice suck. Uh, I have no idea what the message of this movie is. I have I'm not sure what the authorial intent was here, except it is an interesting idea about the nature of identity. Yeah. And and the idea of are who are, who are we? Who can we become? Can you actually you know, the idea of taking over some other person? Also, it's a lot of fun to watch John Malkovich pretend to be John Cusack inside his body and then later pretending to be Orson Bean. And he pulls it off, by the way. He, he does. He got all of Cusack's mannerisms, the body language, everything. He does. And in that case, you know, when I said that I don't generally like him as an actor, in this case, it is so subtle that if you're not paying attention, you'll miss it. But I was, like you said, is like, that feels like what John Cusack would do with that line. You know, yep. his different voice, different body, but that feels the like John pitch, Cusack. The cadence, yeah, yeah it's, it felt exactly like it. What do you think? What do you think the author's trying to say? I, you know, I wasn't sure, but, you know, what you were saying about identity, you know, I started wondering, it's like, well, is this, in a way, even trying to touch on that voice we all have in our heads that, you know, sometimes feels like us, but sometimes feels like somebody else? Hmm. Is it commenting on, you know, that core identity and what that is? Is it trying to comment in any... I, I can't imagine trying to comment on any kind of religion, because I don't know of any religion that involves a dwarf door to John Malkovich. Um... <laughs> I, think I thought, it, I thought that was the basis of the Methodist Church, no? I think you should reread that entry I, in Wikipedia. I guess I should. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think probably at, at most, identity is, is at core, but it's also, I think, it's just an exercise. Hey, what if? And yeah. what would you do? Now, honestly, I don't think most people, like you said, the first people who answer the ad and show at the office is like, yeah, I'll pay $200. Like, uh, huh? Now, to be fair, the people that we see, which are damn few, uh, we only really talk to one guy, are really the probably the kind of people who would answer this ad, which are very lonely, unhappy people. The first one even says, you know, I just want to be somebody else. Yeah. And so I, I kind of can see that. The fact that Maxine never even bothers to try it out. She eventually has to. She's chased. <laughs> she ends yeah. up having to go. They go. This is really weird scene of running through John Malkovich's subconscious. And we see oh. all of these scenes of John Malkovich being unhappy as a child and peeing on a bus and being made fun of. And they call I was him. impressed with John Malkovich that he let them do that. He's Okay, yeah, yeah go ahead. Make, make my childhood look unbelievably pathetic. Yeah. Um... Which is, you know, there. That's an interesting chase scene that I wouldn't. And even the way it's shot, like every time they come to like a, a grate in the wall or something, the whole orientation of where they are, where they are, and where they're going changes usually yeah. by about 90 degrees so if they're going through a wall they're now coming out of a porthole in the, the, the roof of a bus or something right. if they were going up they're now sideways 
I've seen a ton of movies where they try to give you the impression of being inside someone's mind or their memories. This one does it really well because it's really easy to do badly. It's really easy to make it look stupid. And, and you know this what? It doesn't. You know what reminds? I want to state this right. You know what ended ends up reminding me of this? Although again, more special effects, more money, not done as well is Inception. Oh, like hmm. they have just the fight scenes where the corridor's spinning around, which quite honestly they did back in Fred Astaire days. Yeah. But here, everything's just like you get a scene, and just when you figure out what's going on, everything just turns and shifts, and it's just weird the way. Yeah, that's works. the whole movie, really. Yeah, the story just. There is a sequence when he when Craig has locked Lottie in the cage with the chimp. <laughs> when suddenly we're seeing things through the chimp's memory. Chimp cam. The chimp, the chimp who, whose name is, they call him Elijah, and it turns out so did his parents. Yeah. The chimpanzee's actual name, birth name, is Elijah. Yeah. And he has childhood trauma that his parents were captured by poachers, and he couldn't figure out how to untie them. So he figures out how to untie Lottie, and I guess this re resolves his childhood trauma, which they keep talking about. Yeah. You know, Lottie's saying, yeah, he's very depressed he, because of childhood trauma. This is a chimpanzee. <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, I think we actually have locked on to the one likable character in the film. Yeah, actually, Elijah is actually quite nice. I like Lan Elijah. Lancelot Link. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, so we, we also, there is another very significant point that I looked up and I want to make. Okay. Mal John Malkovich's middle name is not Horatio. <laughs> no, it's Gavin. It's, yeah, it's Gavin. I, I remember that for some reason they do, like on a poster, says John Horatio Malkovich. And I, I remember going, wait a minute. Yeah. That is not his, I will bet you anything that's not his middle name. So in reference to the, the question I asked, when the, what is the author trying to say? Max, if you could be John Malkovich, even for 15 minutes, would you be John Malkovich? If John Malkovich gave me permission, sure. It would be really interesting. Why wouldn't you want to perceive the world through someone else's senses? Imagine the insight that could give you. How do I know that the color blue, <laughs> to me, is the color blue to you? Yeah, check the crayon box, okay? <laughs> but the idea of doing it covertly, that's just the... That, that is the ultimate kind of voyeurism to the level of perversion. Yeah. Especially that's if you have any control. That is just sick. Again, yeah. I think the idea would be amazing. I, you know, I, I also, you know, who the hell wouldn't want to try out being a famous Hollywood actor? I think that's part of it. I think that's part of the appeal. I think it would have been a totally different movie if it was like being Bob the guy at 7-Eleven. <laughs> I'll have to ask my manager. <laughs> Do you think people would be paying $200 to be in the head of an ordinary person? I think this is a part of this is about... Ordinary people who want to be extraordinary but don't want to work at it. They want a shortcut. They want a magic trick that well, will let them, for a brief moment, be more than they are. I think that's the saddest part about this movie. Well, do you think that that may actually have something to do with why people like, oh, I don't know, you and me like to play D&D? &D? Or people like to be actors? Do you think that there's sort of an echo of that? I think there's a certain amount with that. Mostly, I think, especially with actors, is people want to try being something. They want to exercise a different part of themselves. They don't want to. They don't want to become someone completely else. They want to let out a part of their personality they don't normally get to to express. Hmm. I think so, that's what it is about D and D. If you're like, you know, you're normally a fairly placid, quiet sort of person, and you end up running a barbarian who goes around hacking everyone in half. 
Gnar! Yeah, it's not that, oh, I always wondered what this would be like, or I think this is a better way to be. It's, you know, there's a certain amount of part, there's a part of me that would like to go around and be more forceful and have people be afraid of me physically. It's a way of expressing that. It's not expressing the desire to be someone else. It's the desire to be a different part of yourself. So what you're actually saying is that this film would have been a very strong contender for the DVD (laughs) series that we made. (laughs) No, because almost no one loots any bodies. Well, you know, John Malkovich was in Aragon, and that was a fantasy film. So <laughs> This is wrong. not Six Degrees of D&D. I'm sorry. <laughs> it doesn't matter what else he was in. He was also one of the Three Musketeers. That doesn't count either. Yeah, and so was What's-His-Name Robin was in that. Uh, What's-His-Name uh, Robin? Chris... No, yeah. Christopher Chris, Robin? No, no, Christopher Robin's not in, no. Uh, the guy played Robin in the Batman and Robin films. Uh, Chris, oh, uh... That uh, yeah, I know what you good, mean. Fairly good-looking actor. Whatever. Oh, no, you're thinking of a whole other. That's a different Three Musketeers. That's the oh. one with Char. With oh God, Charlie Charlie Sheen. Sheen is in that one, and John Malkovich is in the other one. Now, I'm thinking <laughs> the one that John Malkovich is in is actually the Man in the Iron Mask. Oh, that's right. That's which right. is Dumas' se- in effect sequel to the Three and Four Musketeers. Oh well, they see there you go. Um, speaking of sequels, just so you know, a film that I actually really like, but again, was outside the boundaries of this, uh, adaptation actually mm. has partially to do with the making of this film. <laughs> so What? Uh, really? I didn't remember yeah. that. Yeah, That's... yeah, apparently it does. Uh, I, I saw that when it came out, really liked it, really interesting film, haven't seen it since. Um, yeah, me neither, you know, it's same. It, it's, um, it... I'm going to add one level of weirdness to this film that it doesn't need, but is true. Uh, one of the producers of this film was Michael Stipe of R.E.M. Come on, Stipe, give us a break. <laughs> Buy us some dinner. <laughs> really? That Michael I, Stipe? That Michael I don't know mm. why, but he was. Um, <laughs> and actually, I can see that, because he tends towards the odd and, and interesting. So Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, do you have any other more points you'd like to bring up before we get to the uh, where we have to finally decide whether we like the movie or not? <laughs> Uh, well, I got the middle name thing in. That really was the most important. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, no, I think I think we covered it. The Roundup. Right. Yeah. So, Max. Yeah. You saw this when it came out. I saw I it when it came out. Yep. When you first saw it, what did you think? Do you remember? Yeah, I thought it was very uncomfortable, but amazingly well done. I was mostly impressed by the actors. Okay. And this time around. I'm still. Th- I'm really impressed. I think this is incredibly well done. I think it's well directed. I just didn't realize how unbelievably scary the ending is. That didn't hit me the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I-, I remember very little of it. I certainly remember the oh, we go into a small door and we're yeah. in- inside John Malkovich's head. But the you know I forgot. Well, the Cameron Diaz again. I I did not know who it was. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm again not good with faces, but wow. Okay, I actually want to say this is one of her best performances because she's so unlike herself. And I like Cameron Diaz. I think she's fun. Yeah. Um, but she, she really, was great. yeah, she really stretched for this role because she's unlike herself in every way, shape, and form. Um, and she's actually a the closest to a likable character besides the chimp. Because um, she's mostly just directionless and um, lacking in confidence. She's not really trying to hurt anybody. Well, except at the end when she goes after uh, Maxine with a gun with that old cliche, if I can't have you, nobody can. 
Yeah, but even that, we can tell she probably never would have gone through. That she's just mm. confused and uh, unhappy. Um, so she's. I'm not saying she's likable. I'm saying she's the closest we get yeah, besides the yeah. chimp. Uh, although you know the lizard wasn't bad, and I like the yeah. dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember th- this mi- film made an impression enough that I remembered yeah. it. Um, and I agree. There's some great performances in here. It is a bizarre movie. The concept itself is like, w- w- you want to do what? Um, I don't know how they got money for it, um, but they and it actually made money for an yeah. independent film. It actually did pretty well. Yeah. Thirty-two million off a thirteen million dollar budget for a film that that ain't don't... bad. No, and I think you're right. I think I, I agree. I think part of this whole thing was it was a what if. It's like, huh? What do you think would happen if we tried to if we tried this kind of story? It's like let's make a weird ass sandbox and play in it. Yeah. And I that's what so. you, that's what happens. I, do I recommend it? Sure. Broaden your broaden your taste in theater and and in cinema, I should say, and see something you wouldn't expect, and see something that you're just like, what? Um, I will say that we've seen other films where their characters are uncomfortable and we don't like them. I it doesn't make me hate the film because mm-hmm. the concept is so weird and the things that are going on are so interesting even though I don't really like any I guess Malkovich is not unlikable except you know you have to like John Malkovich um, and heck they even make Charlie <laughs> Sheen vaguely not horrible yeah, um, at the end he's quite sweet yeah um, by all means stretch yourself see something weird uh, I, I the, the visuals again just for that Malkovich scene Malkovich Malkovich is 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 oh. just amazing that and, really stuck with me i remembered that for 20 years the yeah. big chunks of the movie i didn't remember i remembered the malkovich 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 <laughs> scene because that is seared into my brain yeah hey speaking of uh remembering things for 20 years uh what are we uh what are we gonna watch next week yes next week we have a very interesting dish on the horizon i think we're just going to eat it up oh a cooking movie Yes, we're going to watch Julie and Juliet. No, we're going. We are going to see a, one of the more <laughs> disturbing, effective, and remarkable movies of the '90s that shaped horror and thriller movies for many years. Silence of the Lambs. Oh, <laughs> yes, that happy-go-lucky, feel-good family movie, Silence of the Lambs, which is all about a shy lamb who learns to sing. No, it isn't. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it, it's, it's a musical version. It's a mu- It's the musical version. <laughs> so um, next week, uh, won't you grab a nice bottle of Chianti and some fava beans and join us for another episode of Max Mike <laughs> Movies. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.